Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. I realized it literally last week, so sorry about that. Yes, but still sign up anyway. Okay, anyway, that wasn't in my notes. Okay, my name is Lainey, Kids Pastor. I'm up here today because um, some of our staff pastors are going to be up here on the stage while our lead pastor, Pastor Aaron, is out on his 60-day sabbatical getting some well-deserved rest. Yes, so you can hear me today. So we're in our family values series, and that's exciting because I love my family. Um, But some of you, you might know some other pastor's families. You might not know my family. Um, My husband, Elliot, is a very hardworking man. During the panty, he started working on Sundays. Hasn't been able to change a shift yet. So if you don't know him, I, I brought a picture up here. So I wanted, I wanted you to meet Elliot. He's the one that's not me. That's Elliot. He's my husband. Love him very much. I also wanted to introduce our children. That's right. Um, this is my first child. Uh, her name is Pepperjack. Um, she is uh, like a miniature pincher mix. I don't know. She barks a lot. Um, and then my two twin boys, yes, is Havarti and Gorgonzola. <laughs> we went with cheese names. Everybody's got their thing. Yes, we are those people. These are our children. This is our family. Um, and before you ask, we probably won't have human children. Not because we don't love kids. I love kids. I love kids, I promise. (laughs) We love kids, but we've experienced a lot of dysfunction when it comes to families. I'm sure you all can relate, right? Dysfunctional families, yeah? It happens? Yes. And um, mom, if you're watching this, I'm not talking about you. It's fine. What I am talking about, for example, this summer my grandfather passed away, and it was hard. He was sick for the summer, and... um, Thankfully, he was surrounded by a lot of my cousins, my aunts and uncles, who all lived near him during that time. Um, But after he passed away, my cousin sent in a group email some photos, and they were the photos of his last day alive. And what she didn't tell us before one was going to click on the photo album is that they were pictures of my grandfather sitting in his recliner, deceased. That she had sent us, yes, which honestly my grandfather would have loved. He would have been all about it. He's the kind of guy who takes a picture of like an open casket at a funeral. That is him. So he would have really enjoyed that we all got to see him with like my aunt smiling, standing around like on the day that he passed away. Yeah, it was great. That kind of dysfunction, that's what I'm talking about. I'm trying not to mess up my kids the way that I've been messed up. Can't really do that with a dog. She's already messed up. We got her from a shelter. It's fine. But a wise elderly man once told me, we all screw up our kids, which I think is really true. Part of the human experience, right? We all have sin. We are all imperfect. And so we mess up our kids. We mess up our friends. We mess up our spouse. It's part of being alive. And that elderly man was Pastor Tim, and you'll hear him in two weeks. (laughs) I see him over there. He was looking around like he knew. He was like, I'm pretty sure I said that. That's right. He's very wise. And old. See his beard? It's like Dumbledore. 
I've <laughs> been playing a lot of Hogwarts Legacy, anybody? Okay, sorry. Um, that being said, I bet you're also dysfunctional. I have a bet. Specifically, what I want to talk about today is I bet your marriage is dysfunctional. Or, if you're single, I bet your relationships are dysfunctional. And that's what I'm going to mostly focus on today. But before I start, I have to say a few things. One, I'm going to give you a lot of practical tools today. And these tools apply to you even if you're not married. If you're hoping to be married sometime in the future, you're so lucky because you're going to get these tools and you're going to bring them to your marriage and you're going to have them before you screw everything up. <laughs> you're still probably going to mess things up because, again, old Pastor Tim, yeah, okay. <laughs> so if you're single, it's all the better that you're hearing that now, this now. Even if marriage is not um, on the books for you, it's okay. These things still apply. They apply to your relationship with your kids, to your relationship with your parents, to your relationships with your friends. So keep your ears open. Do not tune out. All right, I'm going to take inventory. Raise your hand if you have a perfect marriage. All right. If you did not know, Pastor Derek is married to Pastor Kyle. They are here. That is imperfect marriage. Okay. How do I know that marriages are dysfunctional, that we don't have a perfect marriage? Well, I'm sure you've heard some of these stats that I'm about to read off. Divorce rate in the U.S. is somewhere between 35 to 50%, according to the U.S. Census. But good news, it is getting lower. And this is partially because people are deciding not to get married. This is really it. People are deciding not to get married. And I get that, because divorce is hard. And if you're sitting here and you know that, Yes, divorce is hard. I found, um, as I looked up these studies, that there was a study by the University of Denver in 2014 that found this. Divorced individuals have higher levels of physical distress, more substance misuse, more depression, lower overall health. And there are also negative childhood outcomes when it comes to divorced parents. Typically, these kids can experience lower academic achievement, poorer psychological well-being, increased depression and anxiety. And if you're sitting here and you've experienced that and you've gone through that and you're like, Lainey, please, I already know this. Why are you making me feel bad? I'm not trying to shame you at all, but you need to hear me because here's what else I found. People who have been divorced, divorce rates increase to 60% in second marriages and they increase to 70% in subsequent, subsequent marriages after that. So pay attention. You can do this. It's not too late. It's not too late to learn and to grow. So why does this happen? I did more research. Did you all know that I went to school for psychology? I did a lot of research. Anyway, I likes it. I did more research. Um, I, this article that I talked about also cited a study that studied the reasons that people list for divorce. And the number one, 55% of their participants said, Growing apart was the reason for divorce. 53% said not being able to talk together. This is crushing. Another survey um, in Oklahoma that listed a bunch of options and had people choose as many as they wanted said 85% divorced individuals cited lack of commitment as the reason. Too much conflict or arguing was 61% and infidelity was 58%. This makes me really sad. Part of it that makes me sad is because a lot of these things are really actionable. Think about it like this. 
if your car runs out of gas, you put, you put gas right back into it, right? If your car runs out of gas on the highway, and you don't have your phone charged, it's gonna be a real pain in the butt. I, I think about that often when my phone dies, because I never lived in the 80s, and I don't, I don't know what to do. What would I do? I do not know. I, I, I would have to walk? I don't know. The point is, it's hard, but it's possible to put gas back in your car. You don't abandon it. And that's the same thing with these things. It is hard when you feel like your marriage is running out of love. But love is an action. It's not just, you don't just abandon your marriage because you're, you're out of gas. But honestly, Elliot and I have been happily married, but we've been together for a relatively long time, about 11 years. And there were certainly times in our relationship when I would identify that we were in the realm growing apart, unable to talk together. It was avoid conflict at all cost. Can I get an awkward smile at that? Was I will not talk about these things because it is too hard to talk about these things, so everything is fine. <laughs> Thankfully, before we got married or even lived in the same place, it's much easier to get some space when you don't live in the same state. We had a lot of support and we learned so much about what a healthy marriage looks like, and we learned what the Bible says about a healthy marriage, and we were able to really prep well. So I'm really grateful for that. And I want to share some of that wisdom with you today. First, my mouth is dry. God doesn't waste any time talking about marriage in the Bible. Literally the first chapter. First chapter, first chapter of the Bible, Genesis. It says this. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said this. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I am not going to explain why we have an even number of ribs today. Lots of smart people on the internet have already talked about that. Look it up. I am going to focus on this word united. United. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible was not written in English. It was written in a couple different languages, one of them called Aramaic. And united, the root word, it was translated to united, but it was dabak. And no, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Dabak, it means to cling or adhere, to catch by pursuit, to pursue hard with affection and devotion. That sounds nice. It's used a couple different places in our Bible. Um, the first place it's used is Psalm 63, 8. It says, because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. That word cling is debak. And when I think of the word cling, the first thing I think of is when my cat won't get its claws out of me after it's fallen off of my lap, and it's clinging. And it's literally, you have to release the claw. Anybody? No? Just me? Just my cat? Yes, yes. All right, I also think about like a baby monkey clinging to its mom upside down on a tree. This is active. This is not passive. This is continuous, not a one-time action. As a matter of fact, it's used in another context in the Bible. Um, there is a wild story in the book of Judges, a civil war 
caused by some criminal minds level monstrosity. And God's people are absolutely outraged and they act in a very dramatic thing. In Judges 20, 45, it says, the survivors fled into the wilderness towards the Rock of Rimmon, but Israel killed 5,000 of them among the road. They continued the chase until they had killed another 2,000 near Giddim. These are some passionate people hunting down someone else. This is continuous. This is pursuit in an extreme way. Debak is that word chase here. Um, that chapter ends by saying, so that day the tribe of Benjamin lost 25,000 strong warriors armed with swords. God designed us to be joined in marriage in a way that leads us to actively cling to one another with the same passion and energy. Maybe not the exact same passion and energy as in Judges, but it's continuous. This isn't a one-time thing. You don't just sign, sign something, you're united once, and that's it. It is continuous pursuit continuous pursuit. So thankfully, because this sounds quite impossible, the Bible does give us some guidance about how to do this. So I'm going to share with you three ideas today about what healthy relationships based in Dabak are doing. The more I say Dabak, the less meaning it has. Dabak, Dabak, Dabak. Anybody? (laughs) The first one is this, pursue knowing. Let's play a game. If you're here with someone, a spouse, family member, whoever, I want you to turn to them. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to count down three, two, one, and you're going to say what you think they would answer. Okay, you ready? You got your partner? You ready to play? Three, two, one, give their answer. The question is mayo or mustard? Three, two, one. Anyone surprised by their partner's answer? No, you knew? Yeah. If my husband was here, he would probably say mustard, but guess what? I started making my own mayonnaise, and it's delicious. Yeah. You don't know. (laughs) Knowing each other is not this simple, I admit. That is just me wanting you guys to talk about mayonnaise and mustard, because it's funny. No, I'm not just talking about knowing their habits, their family, their history, their mayonnaise and mustard preference. I'm talking about really knowing what makes them feel loved. And a great place to start with learning your partner's love language is where? Anybody know? You heard of it? Yeah, I heard it. Maybe. I don't know. I heard something. This book called Five Love Languages. Have you all heard it? Yes, this has been around for a while. It's a book by a guy named Gary Chapman. And basically it goes through the five ways that people typically feel the most loved. Let's see if we can think of them. Anyone shout one out? Acts of service, quality time, physical touch, that's non-sexual physical touch, gifts, words of affirmation, very nice. Those are the five general love languages. And what this talks about is you may be doing things for your spouse or your person in your relationship that you think are really loving. Maybe you're buying them a bunch of gifts, you're telling them how much you love them, and still there's some sort of disconnect. Maybe they don't feel like you're actually doing something to show them you love them because you're not speaking their language. If we know that our loved one really just wants us to take a break and spend time with them, even if it's not how we would feel love, it makes it so much easier to help them feel loved. But I'm not stopping there. 
Because even knowing your partner's love languages is, is not enough in the pursuit of knowing them. For example, Elliot and I um, have this tradition of yearly, we get together and we do a check-in, typically on our anniversary. Um, sometimes we do it multiple times a year. And we learned this tradition from actually Pastor Aaron and Shanda, and, and they taught us that it's really important to get together and ask each other how you can love each other better. And so usually on our anniversary, we'll set out to a date, like a coffee date, and we'll ask each other this question, how can I love you better? And um, recently, <laughs> our, our answers changed a little bit because Elliot and I, we know each other's love languages. I'm a quality time gal. He's a gifts dude. We both like acts of service. Uh, words of affirmation pretty low on our list. Could care less. Or so we thought. Because we realized at this check-in, um, Elliot asked me if I could tell him when he's doing something right. And I asked him if he could tell me that he likes me and he wants to hang out with me. Because <laughs> he's kind of like a feral cat. Sometimes you can't tell. I don't know. <laughs> he identified himself that way, guys. <laughs> it has helped so much. And we're talking about words of affirmation and words of affection. If you're like me, you might crave those words of affection. You might crave to be told that you're wanted and admired by your partner. And um, guys, I'm talking about non-sexual words of affection. You might be bad at this. You, you might be bad at it. Sometimes it might work for you and then sometimes it really, really doesn't. This is why. Because words of affection sound more like this. I love you because. I love you because. I love you because you're incredibly caring. I love you because you're smart. I love you because you teach our kids to be better. I love you because you're patient with me when I'm irritable. Um, these are real words of affection. This is why, ladies, it's never, no one's ever gotten a date from screaming across the street at someone. <laughs> If you have a motive, we know. We can tell the motive, and it's not a compliment. It's no longer a compliment. I love you because say it often. Change it up. And maybe you more like Elliot, and you desire these words of affirmation. In our relationships, especially our marriage relationships, it can be so tempting to get into this routine of just pointing out the ways we want our significant other to be better, right? It's easy to point out criticism to, to critique. At least for me. I don't know what you guys. But it's not always easy to pause and notice when our partner is doing something we like. I struggle with this because venting can feel really good, right? Like calling your friend and be like, you will not believe what he has done again. Sometimes venting can feel really helpful, but what it ends up doing is really driving you apart from your significant other, not only because words are incredibly, incredibly powerful and can be super hurtful, but also they change the way you think. So the more you're saying that your spouse really is not doing anything, the more you're feeling that resentment of they're not doing anything. And maybe they're not, but that's a different conversation. Instead, focus on noticing when your loved one is doing something good. Thank you that you did the dishes for me today. That was super helpful. Um, thank you. That made me feel really good when you gave me a hug when I got home. 
I'm so proud of the way you handled work lately. I know that it's stressful. Any of that feel good? <laughs> yes. Here's what words of affirmation aren't. Thanks for getting dinner ready tonight. I sure wish you'd do that more often. I sure wish you'd get up when I got home more often. Like I said, words are powerful. And words are directly linked to our thoughts and emotions. So not only will words probably help you achieve the desired outcomes that you have for your relationships, but also they change the way that you think. Saying something over and over again changes the way you think. Hebrews 3.13 says this, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The Bible tells us to encourage each other daily because it knows this. God created us so that words have a direct impact on us. And when we don't use those words, it says you can be hardened by sin's, wow, that's a mouthful. You can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, meaning you start to believe lies. It probably works for yourself. The more you talk about yourself as being trash, like I have the bad habit of because it's funny, the more you start to believe it. It's the same with your relationships. The more you say negative things, the more you start to believe them. And the opposite is also true. The more you start to say positive things, the more you start to believe them and feel them. Learning more about your love, um, how to love your spouse, means being intentional. So how to do it? Set a date with them, specifically to have these conversations. Look up questions online. You might be surprised by their responses. You might be surprised by how much you just didn't know. Elliot and I are really lucky because I think we both agree we like these conversations. We think it's fun. But this next one I'm going to give you is almost universally not fun. <laughs> Number two is pursue discipline. <sighs> discipline. I like to cook. I like to pursue health. I generally know what's healthy for me and what's not. But is that enough for me to get healthy? The answer is no. It's not enough to know, right? Now I have to actually cook for myself instead of stopping at T-Bell or Boston Market. <laughs> it's pretty good. Also trash. <laughs> pretty good, but also trash. Both at the same time. It means I have to skip delicious dessert. It means I have to say no when people are pushing Girl Scout cookies on me, even though I want to say yes, A, because I want the Girl Scout cookies, and B, because I want to say yes to people because it's fun. It takes discipline to get healthy. It takes discipline to keep your garden looking nice. Can't just let it overgrow and never rake up the leaves in the fall because it's probably going to be fine, right? <laughs> no, this stuff, does it, is there any growth that comes out of neglecting something? Absolutely not. You can't just know how to do it. I love to watch gardening videos, but I typically don't follow through on those gardening videos. And my garden, guess what? Doesn't get better. James 4, 17 says this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. Within your relationships, when you know there is something that, could, that you could do to pursue the other person more, and, and you could do it reasonably, but you don't, that's not following God's best for you. It's just not. I relate to this example quite a bit of um, the 
Girl Scout cookie thing because I love Girl Scout cookies. But I also have a problem with cleaning up after myself. Anyone else? <laughs> and in our check-ins, Elliot has mentioned that to me. And it's something I've had to get better at, but it's not the only thing that I've had to get better at. You see, um, the first time we did this yearly check-in, I learned something that devastated me, absolutely devastated me. Um, my husband mentioned that when we're around friends, I tend to make him the butt of jokes. And when he told me this and how it bothered him, I completely made the rest of the conversation entirely about me. I cried, I complained about how, oh my goodness, how would you, why could you bring this up now? Why wouldn't you bring this up earlier? I did not, I did not act in a mature way. This was devastating. But I, well, first off, I gotta tell you, I like to say I'm like Tinkerbell and I live for the applause. And so I was. I know that in social situations, I was using my husband to get laughs and the applause that I need to survive as a human. It was easy, because he was there, and he knows I love him, right? But I didn't realize I was using deprecating humor to get laughs at my husband's expense, and it actually was hurting his feelings. And the worst part was, that time we had that conversation wasn't the last time we had that conversation. And I really tried to get better, I really did, but it was frustrating because the way that I'm built, somehow there's this block in my brain that says it's okay to make fun of people because you like them and they can hear you making fun of them. Like it's not as hurtful if I'm like, yeah, look at this guy, look at his glasses. That's not a good joke and I wouldn't make that one. But I didn't write a better joke in my notes. It took two or three times of him bringing this up in our check-ins until it didn't happen anymore. And every time, it was devastating to me. I think I got a little bit better at making the conversation less about me, but it took discipline, real discipline, to change the way that I was behaving because, like I said, I am Tinkerbell. I live for the applause. That is my default response. My default response, the response I give without thinking, is make people laugh at anyone's expense including the person that I'm married to. It takes practice and discipline to love people. And if you can understand your own default response, the way you act without thinking, it can help you to start to change your own behaviors. And my behavior is very specific, so I'm going to give you another example. My husband understands that his default response um, is to hyper-focus on things and to value couch time with our children when he gets home from work. They love it. Remember their cats and a dog? I was hoping for a laugh with that one. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. I got it. I live for the applause. Okay. Yeah, that's his default, is to value that couch time. And he also knows how unreasonably upset it makes me when I get home and no one comes to greet me. And the, and the kids love couch time so much that sometimes they won't even get off the couch, won't come greet me when I get home, it's quite irritating. Anyway, he knows this, that that's his default response. And so every single time after I've, I've shared with him that it would really be meaningful to me if when I came in, he, he got up and said hi to me. Now every single time, no matter what he's doing, when I walk through the door, my husband gets up and he comes over to me and he says hi. He'll give me a hug, ask me how my day was doing. 
no matter what. If he's in the middle of a show, pauses it, comes and says hi to me. If he is working on, if he, he plays these games online with real people and apparently you can't pause them, whatever. He pauses that game. He quits that game to come say hi to me. It's a disciplined response because he knows how much I value that. And it's something we've developed over time. Even the times where I get home annoyed or irritated, I'll like come through the back door. It's locked, so I know he hasn't let the dog out yet. And so I come through the laundry door, and I'm like, do you let the dog out? And that's how I come through the house. And he still will get up from what he's doing and come say hi to me. It takes work to do that. I know that it takes work to do that. Because when someone comes home irritable, the last thing you want to do is be around them, be nice to them, or give them a hug. Absolutely. Understand what your default responses are. Think about your desired outcome and then actually follow through with the, the response that, you, that will get you what you want, a healthier marriage, a healthier relationship. Our last one here is pursue growth. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our culture, the customs of the world, normalize bashing our spouse, calling up our friend and complaining or getting together with the boys. You guys call it that? Getting together with the boys, talking about our women. It does. It normalizes this. It also normalizes blaming our significant other. It, it normalizes making excuses when they tell us that we did something to hurt them or making the conversation entirely about us. Like. But that's the opposite of growth. Our culture playbook here at Simple Church um, is, is a list of, I meant to have it up here, I forgot. It's a list of beliefs that we have, and one of them is growth. And in this belief of growth, we list some behaviors. And the behaviors are this. Prayerful obedience to God's word. Remain teachable and learn with humility. And intentional spiritual and personal development. It does not say, make sure other people know all the ways you want them to change. Growth says, how can I be transformed? What's my response going to be the next time I'm feeling ignored or unloved? What is my response going to be the next time a loved one crosses a boundary? Am I going to ignore it, build up the resentment, and then one day explode? Or am I going to be brave, choose discomfort over resentment, and communicate that with them the first time? That's so hard. Work on yourself your own communication style, your own mental health, your boundaries, your attachment styles. This might mean getting a counselor for you. This might mean joining Growth Track, the space that we have after every single service to learn more about your spiritual gifts. This means taking ownership of your marriage, of your relationships. Pursue growth in yourself first. And then it's time to pursue growth together. You hear that? There's an order. Pursue growth in yourself 
and then pursue growth together, which might be painful. It might be painful. Transformation might mean learning to forgive and ask for forgiveness. It might mean learning how to hold on to values in a tough time in your life. It might be, mean being truthful when that's extremely unpopular. It might even mean opening up to others when it's so much easier. It's so much easier to withdraw on yourself. When we have issues in our relationships, the last thing we want to do is talk about it with others. Can I get an amen? Yeah. It's okay if it was a quiet one. Yeah. Pursuing growth might mean getting in a grow group. And this is a great segue into the advertisement I'm about to give you guys. Because one of the grow groups that Elliot and I are hosting this season is Boundaries in Marriage. Mm -hmm. It is a grow group based on helping you grow in your marriage. Happens every other Friday. The first one is February 24th, so you haven't missed anything. There's a book that goes along with it. There's people who really know what they're talking about that you can learn from. Join a group. Join that group. And, and if you can't join that, that, that group because I live 15 minutes from here and that's too far, <laughs> join a different group. Grow together. If we pursued all of our relationships in these ways, knowing discipline, and growth, imagine how deep and meaningful our relationships would be. We could change those statistics, which are not different for Christians, by the way. Divorce rates are just as high for Christians as other people. In some states, it's even higher because divorce rates also depend on age of marriage and Christians want to get married more. Okay, point is... We could change those statistics. I'm tired of hearing them. I'm tired of hearing every marriage sermon start with divorce rates are 50%. I know I did it, but there was a point to it. We could change those. Just know that these three things, pursuing discipline, knowing, pursuing growth, they're not a solution. I, I acknowledge that. They're not a solution, but they are a step. And perhaps you're here today and you're, uh, the idea of a romantic relationship is not anywhere on your radar. I hope you listened. I did tell you to keep your ears open. I am a kid's teacher. <laughs> because these things are helpful for your parenting relationships. They're helpful for your relationships with your family, with your friends, with your significant other. But most importantly, these three points that we explored today, they're helpful with your relationship with God. Pursue knowing God. What's that look like? Reading your Bible, praying, talking to him, asking people to help you learn about him, joining a girl group like Boundaries and Marriage. Pursue discipline. When you know God wants you to do something, don't just think it, do it. If you know God wants you to serve, Join Kidsman Dream Team. Kidding. I'm kidding. It was a joke. But it wasn't a joke. Join our team. <laughs> if you know God wants you to show love to someone, do it. Don't hesitate. And pursue growth. Take that next step in your relationship with him. Take that next step in pursuing a relationship with God. Maybe for you, that's getting baptized. 
is, is it's an, an announcement. An, wow, that's hard to say. An announcement to everyone that you are in relationship with God. Maybe it is joining growth track and, and serving, or maybe it is joining a grow group, or maybe it is just talking to someone who goes to this church. I don't know what it looks like for you, but pursue knowing God, pursue discipline in your relationship with him, and pursue growth in yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you for pursuing us. Help us to pursue our relationships in the way that you pursue us. Thank you for bringing us here together. Thank you for open ears and open hearts. And I pray for hurting marriages. I pray for courage in those relationships to take the next step. I pray for courage to pursue discipline when it's painful. I, pursue, I, I pray for hope. I pray that you would show us how best to love each other and you would forgive us for the ways that we mess it up. And while we're praying, I want to give an opportunity for anyone out there who's never pursued God to take that next step in doing that today. So while our eyes are closed, if you're ready to say yes to pursuing a relationship with God for the first time, will you put your hand up? Will you take that next step? Yeah. Good. Put it down. Everyone, we're going to pray together with those people saying yes to God for the first time. So repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. I want to be in relationship with you. Help me to be more like you. And help me to know how to love you. Transform me and help me grow. Forgive me and help me forgive. In your name, amen. If you said yes to pursuing a relationship with God, the Bible literally says the angels in heaven are throwing a party. It's awesome. So give it up for those people who said yes to Jesus for the first time. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.